welcome to SED. I'm your host, Jane Dagme, Editor-in-Chief of Designers Today. SED covers the wonderful industry of interior design from various, often eclectic, angles. At its most literal, SED is the spoken complement to what's written in the pages of our magazine. Esoterically speaking, SED, S-A-I-D, stands for Something About Interior Designers. In a nutshell, the podcast is devoted to the ongoing curiosity and admiration we have for these diverse, passionate, and often quirky individuals. SED celebrates the way they think, work, live, and define themselves. Enough said. Let's get into our show. Hello, my name is Andrea Lillo, and I'm the managing editor of Designers Today. I'm so excited because our guest today for the podcast is Julie Sawchuk, and her name may be familiar to some of you because she was in our November-December issue 2020 in my article on accessible design. I first came across Julie and her amazing story at the Livable Conference uh, late last year, and I just wanted to share her journey and what she's learned. She's an advocate for accessible design, so I'm, I'm so happy she's able to talk to us today. So, Julie, thank your time. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for, you're, thanks you're for coming into my house. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm so excited to, to tell everyone about your home. And you're zooming in from Canada, right? Yeah. So, I live in southwestern Ontario in a little, um, just outside a little village called Blythe. Um, about a thousand people. Not much happening here these days. Pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah. I think I have about a thousand people on my block in Brooklyn. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's very cool. If people, if people don't know your story, can you talk a little bit about how, where you, you know, how you got to where you are right now? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I am an accessibility strategist and I run my own business, but prior to, um, 2015, I was a high school teacher and I taught, um, environmental science and had lots of fun coaching students and being a part of the community that way. And I was 41 at the time I was hit by a car. I was riding my bike training for a triathlon and I was hit from behind by a car that didn't see me. And I was thrown into the ditch. Um, I sustained a T4 level spinal cord injury. Um, when I, when I hit the ditch, my, um, one of my vertebrae kind of exploded and a bone fragment from my vertebrae went into my spinal cord and damaged enough of the nerves to cause paralysis from the chest down. So I have ever since then been using a manual wheelchair to get around and um, gosh, like, you, you know, you never expect it to happen to you, whatever the worst case scenario is that you can think of. And and then it does and your life changes on a dime and you decide to move forward and figure it out. And so that's kind of, that's the short version of my story and, and figuring it out has been very challenging. I, uh, we have a 10 acre farm and I came home after spending three months in rehab hospital. I came home to a 110 year old farmhouse, two stories, like addition on addition on addition. So nothing was level. Um, nothing was built to be accessible in the first place. So that itself was a big learning curve of what do we need to do to make this space like 
livable really um so that i could i could function and so we did some relatively minor renovations to make it work well we decided what we were going to do because the the um the access to accessible housing pretty much anywhere is minimal and and here our options were we would have to move to the city to london or to kitchener and even then finding something that was accessible would have been really really challenging so um so we made it work while we decided whether we were going to move or gut and renovate or build new and what we decided to do was to build new and we were fortunate that we have 10 acres and had the space to build the new house beside the old house so we didn't have to take it down and and then build on top of it we could build beside because we needed somewhere to live right right yeah so you know we put in a ramp we took out the bathtub put in a roll-in shower and did a few minor things in the kitchen just so that i could function and then we spent way too long figuring out how to build an accessible home there really was not a lot of information out there that was useful um up to date and helpful for somebody who's trying to figure out how to design a space to be um functional safe uh ability to be independent preserve dignity all of the things that go with accessibility and um in the end what i have learned is that accessibility isn't just about being able to get into a space it's about being able to function and save energy like like personal physical energy right and in doing that then you don't have to expend energy doing all the things that you have to do in life but you get to save energy and do the things that you want to do so let me give you an example um showering in the old house where we took out the bathtub and the space was just enough for my shower commode we didn't have a bench in the shower um and i wasn't i hadn't learned enough about my body to have enough strength and and know how to transfer from my wheelchair to a shower bench so i used a shower commode and i wheeled myself um with that into the shower but there wasn't enough space in the bathroom for both that and my wheelchair so i'd have to get onto the shower commode and then open the bathroom door roll my wheelchair out and then i'd be able to maneuver in the space and get into the Which shower and shower it so oh the <laughs> the energy that was consumed showering was phenomenal and then i had to roll through the kitchen dripping wet to get to the bedroom to get dressed to get into bed and get dressed so all of that right energy yeah energy yeah all of that so um learning what to do to make this space right took a long time and and we went through i think like 40 different 42 different versions of our house plan before we landed on the one that we thought that was going to work best mm-hmm. and uh and in the end when we moved in i couldn't believe the difference that it made for my headspace my 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 ability to like cook and spend time with my kids my kids were yeah, upstairs right i couldn't go and say goodnight to them and and wake them up in the morning without just yelling from the bottom of the stairs so um 
life really changed for me in a good way when we moved into this, into this house. So, um, I remember when you were talking at the conference, you said something like, yeah, reaching for a towel, the the unevenness of a floor. Like you don't think of it if you're able-bodied, but all of a sudden that's taken away from you, just the energy uh, that takes us to do the basic, basic things. It's, it's really, it's really mind blowing. So here's an example of a basic thing that you would never think twice about in the old house, getting the milk out of the fridge, right? So um, old farmhouses, you know, you, you toss a bunch of ping pong balls and they all eventually roll to one central spot because all the floors slope right to that. And so that's where the fridge was right there. So um, to open the fridge door and then and let go of my wheels to reach in and grab the milk, I would actually roll away from the fridge. So you open the door and you have to go past the swing of the door, right? And then you reach in. And as I'm reaching in, I'm actually rolling away from the milk. So I'd have to open the door, put my brakes on, get the milk, put it on a counter, take my brakes off, and then go and, you know, put the milk in my coffee or whatever. So it's all of those little tiny things add up during the day to the point where you're like, ah, screw it. I don't have energy to go outside or work or play with my kids or whatever. So, and so I look at it like an umbrella where energy is the umbrella and things like independence, dignity, and safety are the things that are holding up that umbrella. And the more you have holding up that umbrella, the the better you are um, able to protect yourself from life. <laughs> yeah. And, and live life, just live life in, as independently as possible. That's really, exactly. that's really amazing. Yeah, I was talking to my colleague about it, and I mean, you don't have to be disabled to have, you know, to take advantage of uh, accessible design. She used to live in Manhattan, and she said, you don't realize how many buildings in Manhattan have one step up until you're, you know, you have your stroller with your kids, and like, or you're just carrying groceries. I mean, it's really, it's amazing how those kind of features can help everyone, but we don't think about that. And that would also, for everyone, that's energy saving, you know, if we, if we think about those features. And a great kitchen example is doors, cabinet doors versus drawers, right? So Mm -hmm. think about under your kitchen cabinet and, and having doors where you have to then reach in to that space and find, you know, whatever little tiny appliance that has gotten lost at the back versus having a drawer where everything then comes right out to you. And that I see that as an accessibility feature, but it's a universal design feature where everybody benefits from having that sort of system. Um, that hurting your back over you know, use, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I when I w- went through this process of of building a house, we did a ton of research, and I visited places and stayed at a friend's house and cooked in her kitchen and used her shower. And we did a lot of like on the ground research. And, and I knew that um, I couldn't just keep it all in my head. And I knew that I had to write a book about it. So I, I had been writing a blog ever since my injury and, and really was enjoying doing that and, and knew that I just needed to get the story out there so that I would be able to help other people who come into the same circumstance of, all of a sudden needing an accessible space and, and how to go about doing it. So I wrote Build Your Space, 
how to create an accessible home for you, your family, and your future. And it's um, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from readers about how it has opened their eyes to how energy is really, you know, what it all comes down to. And I'm, I'm going to be working with a, a group of architects um, from a firm in Toronto and they, I, I sent him a copy of my book and he read it over the Christmas holidays and I had a conversation with him and after he had read it and, and he said, you know, I, I get it now. I see that it's all about energy. And I was like, fist bumping in the air with excitement because I just love that, that, um, that I've been able to open eyes, right. To see so that people can see from a different perspective, that it's not just about turning circle on a floor in a drawing or, um, you know, the width of a doorway. There's so much more to it. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And you, you, did you uh, work with a designer or were you the designer in this, in this case? We had an, an architecture firm help us with the design of the house. Um, but I was a big part of where things were going to go and what they were going to look like. And then we worked with a kitchen designer. Um, they, they hadn't done like a completely accessible kitchen before, just sort of aspects. And um, I'm a big cook, so I really wanted to make sure that the space was going to work for everything that I wanted to do in the kitchen. Plus, you know, being able to work with the family, so having the space to do that. So yeah, there were definitely designers involved in the process, um, but there's not a lot of designers that specialize in accessibility, and that's what I found. And and that was another reason why I wanted to write the book because I want designers to have it in their, um, become a part of their DNA, right? When, when designing and thinking about the future, um, and, and we, just before we started, you were talking about aging in place and, um, this, this situation that we're in now with COVID where everybody's at home and people are wanting to stay at their homes for long, as long as possible in terms of as they age, right. As opposed to, um, having to deal with long-term care and, and the implications of that. So making sure that spaces are built in a way that they have longevity, which also feeds into sustainability. And, um, I know that sustainability was a big part of my, um, sort of my mantra when I was a teacher, I was teaching environmental science. And so the sustainability of products, but also the sustainability of the design itself. If you plan ahead, then you don't have to rip drywall down because you didn't back a wall for grab bars to be attached in the future, right? So it's it's having that forethought and thinking about, okay, what are the implications of doing it this way if X, Y, and Z happens? So talk about some of the sustainable features in your home. Is it are you talking about the types of wood you used or other types of materials? Um, well, we one, one of the things that we did was um, geothermal heat and in-floor heating. And so we have, um, from a sustainability point of view, we have less fuel consumption, right? Because we're doing the, the geothermal heat from the earth. And the in-floor heat for, for me is comfort. Um, 
when you have a neurological condition like I have with the spinal cord injury, the body's ability to regulate temperature is compromised. So having um, the fluctuation that happens with the forced air furnace, um, where you have those temperature fluctuations before that kicks on and off and the constant circulating air, it doesn't provide a, a comfortable environment for me. And living in the old house, I mean, it was also a drafty old house too, but I would often all winter have a like a heated magic bag on my shoulders just to keep myself comfortable. And so in doing that in-floor heat, that is something that has been a big, like a drastic improvement in my comfort level as well. Um, and having lots of big windows so that we're getting uh, southern exposure um, in the wintertime, but but uh, designed so that we're east-west and having the, the roof line in such a way that it's blocking summer heat as well. That has made a big difference. Just having natural light is wonderful. So what are some of the big features in your home to make it uh, accessible? I assume you have zero threshold entrances and uh, obviously wider doorways. What, are, what other features do you have, maybe with lighting or something else? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the kitchen and the bathroom are the places where um, the biggest changes would be. And um, yeah, so no steps, no basement. Right. Um, and, and, you know, well, if you don't have a basement, where's all your stuff? Well, we <laughs> have to be creative with your storage. Right. And, um, the, all of the basement stuff is in a mechanical room on the main floor. So if something is beeping or something shuts off or whatever, I can go into that mechanical room and, you know, at least do a diagnosis of what might have gone wrong. If, if there's a circuit that's tripped, I can actually reach the circuit breaker because we turned it sideways and, and, uh, I can, I can have access to it. I couldn't in the old house cause it was in the basement. Um, so it's, sometimes it's the things that you don't think about in terms of, um, the function of a home that also feed into that idea of independence. Mm. So then in the bathroom, um, we have a zero threshold roll in shower and a roll under sink. Um, it's a big space because when we moved in, I was still using a shower commode. So we still wanted to have space for both wheeled mobility devices in the room at the same time. Um, and then in the kitchen, we have a variety of heights of work surfaces, um, four different heights, actually. One that I can roll under that just is over the top of my knees. And that's like my prep area where I can get good leverage on a knife because I'm not like trying to chop it at chin height. And uh, it's it's a popular, like, it's kind of like a bar in the, in a, you know, a, like a, with tall stools, a bar height in the kitchen, but it's, it's short. That's all. It's exactly the same. You eat there, you have games there and you cook there. Um, I have a roll under cooktop. I have um, a wall oven that has a side swing door. And that means that I'm not opening a door and like trying to dive into the oven. oven, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pull out the muffins that, are are heavy enough that I don't have the core strength to do. But when you do that as a side swing oven, it just makes it all that much more safe. And the roll under cooktop, when you're cooking and you're on a stove and say it's like it's just about chin height, you can't actually see inside the pot. 
Mm. Right. So you're caramelizing onions, for example. Well, they get to that point where it's caramelized versus burnt. It's a pretty short window. And when you can't see in the pot, you don't know what you're doing. So being able to um, see in the pot, see what you're cooking, it's a safety thing as well. So um, a lot of safety considerations in the designs, especially for heat. Um, I don't have sensation in my lower half. So, you know, rolling under a sink that might be hot or a cook surface that might be hot, um, you have to have enough space that you know that your skin's not going to come in contact with those. If you had quadriplegia and, and your hands were affected as well, then you're going to be thinking about things like dexterity and um, holes on drawers or knobs on on an oven control. Like, do you have um, like an induction cooktop, for example, where it's just a touch and you don't have to have a twisting or a pinching action? Um, so the the really important thing for a designer or an architect to understand is what um, what are the specifics the specific implications of the disability that the person has and how is it going to affect their everyday actions and that really so important to develop a relationship where there's trust and conversations can be had um, because a lot of it ends up becoming quite intimate, right? When, especially when you're talking about function functioning in the bathroom, right? right? How are you? How are you getting clean? What are What do you need? Um, what do you need assistance with? What can you do on your own? How can we set up the space so that you can be as independent as possible? You know, where do you need to have products located so that you can reach them while you're sitting on the toilet? Like uncomfortable conversations, right? And it's no pun intended, it's crappy because um, people don't talk about bathroom stuff. Yeah. But everybody does it. Yeah, yeah. And the most personal part of your day is is in that bathroom. Yep. And everybody does it, but nobody wants to talk about it. And so when you have a disability, all of those private things are a little bit different and it creates another level of discomfort and and almost shame about the fact that your body doesn't work the way somebody else's does and and it's uncomfortable to talk about so it's it's breaking down those barriers so that if if you're my designer you understand that I need to have access to wet wipes and catheters for example right so um just just let it all out right like remove the shame that comes with bodily functions and, and then talk about it with your, your contractor then, then rather than have a problems forever in your home later on. Exactly. And, and all of that energy that gets wasted right down the road by not setting something up well in the first place. Hey listeners, it's Jane Dagmy, editor in chief of designers today. I'm so glad you found our podcast. Did you also know that we print our magazine eight times a year and mail it to your home or office? Yes, interior design professionals can request a complimentary subscription by simply going to designerstoday.com and clicking on the button at the top that says subscribe. It's that simple. And while you're there, if you hit the newsletter tab, you can sign up for our weekly news 
as well as that of our sister publications. And now back to our show. And speaking of making yeah. bathrooms better, I mean, you're you're coming out with a new book about just yes, which is which is awesome. Can you talk about the book? I'm so so excited about it. It's called Building Better Bathrooms, and I I've been working on it for um, for a year now, and I have two co-authors. Samantha is a code specialist, and Jane is an architect, and they live in Calgary and Alberta, so. We've been Zoom calling each other for a week, a week, for an entire year, every week. And together, we have put together this amazing resource that is everything that you need to know about building um, and designing commercial bathrooms. Mm -hmm. And although it's focused on commercial bathrooms, a lot of the lessons learned can be applied to somebody's um, personal bathroom, their own, um, their own home. But it's everything from signage and color contrast to shower benches and change rooms. Uh, we talk about adult change tables, how to set up a sink so that you can roll up to a sink, reach the soap and reach the hand towel without having to put your hands on your mobility device, um, you know, and get your wheels wet. Um, Jane has done these amazing drawings of, of what we consider to be the best setups in all different sort of bathroom situations. So Instead of looking at a building code diagram that's got all sorts of labels and numbers and measurements, we've we've simplified it so that you can see what you need to see. And then we've taken the data and put it in a table that is right beside the drawing. So you can make those connections without so much information on a, on a diagram. But the best part of the book is the stories. And that is where the learning happens is... is so many times people say to me, oh, I never thought of it that way, mm -hmm. right? About anything, any aspect of accessibility, slope or door width, whatever. Um, I never thought of it that way. So we've included all sorts of stories from, from my life and from um, other people who contributed their stories about good bathrooms, mostly bad bathrooms, what right. not to do. Because yeah. um, that's where the learning happens, right? When we make mistakes and realize that we've put an emergency call system beside a toilet on the wall too high for somebody to reach if they've fallen on the floor. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Right. And, and that is one of the most common mistakes that we see um, is, is getting that emergency call system um, in a place that's pretty much useless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, an able-bodied person can reach it, but not not everybody. Exactly. Else. Yeah, like you're falling right from the toilet to the floor because you've missed your transfer, and you don't yeah, you yeah. don't have time to push that button on the way yeah. down. No. <laughs> yeah. So so building better bathrooms will be out in about two weeks, and um, if people are interested in finding it, it will be on Amazon, um, and you can also find it on my webpage, which is Julie Sachuk. Dot ca and that's Sawchuck is spelled S A W C H U K. A lot of people like to spell it wrong, so <laughs> we'll have that. Yeah, and I, I also in the I've also um, taken Build Your Space, my first book, and um, expanded it into a course about building bathrooms. It's called uh, well about building spaces in general, and and those courses are called Building Without Barriers, and they're available on my website as well. You just launched um, that a few months ago, right? Or last year? Yeah, yeah. 
focused on residential um, design and construction. Um, I'm also working on creating a, a course for high school students that are interested in oh, the right. design that's and construction right. field. Yeah, I'm really excited about that because it just brings me back to it's like full circle back to yeah. back to teaching high school kids. Yeah, and things that maybe they're not aware of, some areas that, that they're not aware of. But I mean, it sounds like with your books. I mean, even if you're not designing for someone who's uh, has disabilities in some way, I mean, just to read and think about other features that you could just incorporate. Just you just never know. I mean, if someone yeah their leg or has surgery and needs a wheelchair for a few weeks or something, you know, to me it makes a lot of sense just to read it, just to just to know about these areas for sure. And when you look at it from a lifelong perspective, every person at some point in their life will have a disability that requires some sort of accommodation. And like you said, maybe it's a, a broken ankle and they have crutches for six weeks. Right. Um, or maybe they're like me and they sustain a spinal cord injury and need a wheelchair for the rest of their life. You just don't know. Right. Right. And, and so thinking about that for your personal space, but also thinking about that if you have a commercial space, right. And you want to be able to welcome everybody into your restaurant or your recreation center, whatever it is, you want right. everybody to be able to come. And until we start designing spaces to accommodate everybody, you could be excluding up to 50% of the population. Right. It's pretty. And actually, when we spoke about a month ago or two, you had talked about uh, it's one thing to be have an accessible home if you are in a wheelchair. But if you want to go visit someone, I, you know, you talk about rolling into people's garages because that's the only way you can really be in someone else's home. So it's interesting that. Even if you're, you don't need a wheelchair, just having an accessible home is more welcoming to everybody, who, you know, regardless of, of, of their ability or disability. Absolutely. Right. I mean, we all pull cars into a garage. Mm -hmm. Why can't we just pull our whole selves into the house and get the six steps up the front? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because one of the other people I profiled in my story in, in November was a, was uh, she built the she was building an aging in place home, but before she even moved in with her husband, her the contractors loved it because they didn't have to go up the stairs with heavy drywall. They just wheeled everything in. I mean, they were exactly very happy about that. You don't have to hurt your back or or anything. <laughs> and when when you building your home, was your contractor ever surprised about some of the stuff you wanted incorporated or? Uh, yeah, were there any Oh yeah, it was it was learning. Yeah, it was learning for him as well. It was it wasn't the first accessibility project that he had done, but it was the first entirely accessible home that he had done. And so um yeah, we learned about uh backing, like backing behind drywall in a bathroom, for example, and really um making sure that it's everywhere where you could possibly need it. And we literally backed um, two complete sides of the shower so that we'd be able to attach grab bars where I use them now, but also for where I might need them in the future. Who right. knows what I'm, my capabilities are going to be. Um, we also installed electricity in the ceiling, um, in the bathroom and in the kitchen, or sorry, in the bathroom and in the bedroom, uh, because I might need a lift in the future and we need electricity in order to plug that lift in. So um, 
yeah, thinking down the road and and doing things differently. And that's uh, that is the biggest thing for that I have found working with contractors on different projects here as well as other projects that I've worked on um, in in commercial projects is we get into this, well, this is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. So right. we just we just keep doing it that way. But we have to flip it. We have to think about well, why have we always done it this way? Right, right. And more than building to code. I mean, you want to do really make it truly accessible for everybody. Yeah. And I call it building beyond code. Code is like the very bare minimum. And and even even in some respects, it's it's not enough. Um, like, did you know that the reason why um, outlets are a foot or so off the floor is because that's the length of a hammer? No. And that's the way we've always done it. Oh, that's how we measure where to put the outlet. <laughs> yeah, right? So let's think about that. Well, who benefits from a plug that's a foot off the floor? Right. Let's put it in a space that can be reached, like right behind a desk, for example, or on the wall beside a bathroom sink, not behind the bathroom sink, so you don't have to lean over the sink. Right. It's just, it's just little tiny things, but they all really add up to make a big difference. Right. That's great. And is there anything, having built your home, is there anything you would have done differently if you could do it again? Yes. I think I could build like two or three more homes and still end up finding things that I would want to do a little bit differently. Um, and, and it's funny because things work now, but I also know that it would be different in the future. Like I've got two teenage kids and a husband and when we're all in the kitchen together, we need all of that space. But when I'm working in that space by myself, it is a big space to travel through to get what I need. Mm-hmm. So it's about being organized and sort of like I collect everything in my lap from one drawer and take it over to the cooktop or to the prep counter. And if, if I were on my own, I would have a smaller space. Or if it were just me and my husband after the kids leave, assuming right. that my kids will leave, um, then... I would have a smaller space. Right, right. What do so, you go ahead? No, it's okay. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, what about it for people who can't like I'm thinking I love I live in an apartment building in New York City. Uh what if you can't really renovate or I mean or maybe you're in a home you just can't modify for some reason? Are there still little tips and things you can do to kind of make it a little bit better? And if not a mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's always something and and that's um cost always comes into it. Absolutely cost comes into it, right? And um but just thinking about uh my sister, she, when she did co-op in university, she was always moving always moving into different apartment buildings and at this was pre-injury for me, so accessibility wasn't really on my radar then, but things like flooring um, floor surfaces, if you can take carpet out, then you will win. And, and, um, if you're using a mobility device, carpet is a nightmare. It slows you down. It's like rolling on wet sand, right? Um, especially if it's got backing on the back of it, it just, it, it sucks all of your energy as you try and roll across it. So being able to have, um, completely consistent flooring throughout, um, even little um, 
I forget what you call them, but so that you can allow a surface change from like um, tile to wood, for example, even a little bump like that. If I'm rolling with a coffee on a tray on my lap, that coffee's going to jiggle when I go over that little lip. Yeah, little bump, right. So it's not zero. Yeah. Right. Interesting. No, it's not. Yeah. So as consistent, so we did vinyl planks throughout the entire house. Um, so there's no change in rooms. There's no change in the kitchen, anything. It's all exactly the same. So, um, but like I'm looking at the doorway that's behind you and I'm thinking, how wide is that doorway? And what, what would you do, right? If you needed to make it wider. It would be hard. It would be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be an expense for sure. But yeah, I, I thought about, mm-hmm. I thought about that too. I mean, hopefully it never comes to that, but you, you just never know for sure. But yeah, still, there's always a lot of things to think about. Yeah. But the, like the cabinet behind you, whatever you have in that cabinet behind you, right? Let's, let's mm-hmm. make it a drawer that you can pull out that's below the counter. And that's what we did in the old houses. We took out the old cabinets and just put in like, um, I, I had a friend make them actually, it wasn't anything fancy, but they were still drawers that I could then put the dishes in below the counter. So yeah, you don't need to gut right. to make things better. Yeah, um, but yeah. you, you do have to think outside the box. Absolutely. It was interesting because, uh, at the conference, they talked about how in the U S they estimate, this is, I think research going back, maybe it's like 10 years old, but about, 3.5% of homes in the U.S. are accessible with some of the basic accessible features. And to me, that seems really high. I would think I've been, of all the homes I've been in in my life in the U.S., I don't remember any being, even having zero threshold. So it's, uh, yeah. it's interesting how we our, our building stock is just not accessible. Yeah, and it's frustrating to... Um, go into uh, a new community that's supposed to be for seniors mm-hmm. and every house has like five steps into it. We, um, we have uh, a few new developments that are sort of along like here on here that are senior focused. And um, just for fun, we went to look at them. This was when we were planning this house and I couldn't even get into the design center because it wasn't uh-huh. accessible. And here is a whole community being designed for seniors wow. and they all have steps. It just blew my mind. It's, not like, it's like step one and they, they didn't even get that far. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with um, a local builder and they have created some, um, I guess we call them like a fourplex. So four rental units. And they're all slab on grade, so no step, wide doors, all with the potential to be made accessible for somebody who uses a wheelchair. And then one that was designed specifically for somebody who uses a wheelchair. And um, I just I just was there on the weekend because the the tenants are moving in and I wanted to take some pictures. And it's just so exciting to see you know, a roll under cooktop and a workspace, and a roll in shower that's actually zero threshold. Like it's not, you know, oh, it's a roll in shower, but you got to get over this one and a half inch zero, to right. get into the shower. Right. Yeah. So, um, so there's lots of, lots of ways to, to make a space accessible so that you can live in it with 
safety and independence and dignity, but you got to plan for it. Right. We can't keep doing things the way we've always done them. It's not working. And people don't, you know, they don't like to change their thinking sometimes. You really have to push them into it. So I I was going to ask you, when do you think accessible design will become mainstream? Because it seems like people want to talk. I remember talking about um, product design with a company and I said, are you, do you ever design for aging, you know, aging, the aging population? And she's like, no, we just focus on millennials. Like everyone wants the, you know, the sexy young people, but no one's thinking further down the line. So when do you think it's yeah. going to become more, um, I don't know, just more mainstream? Yeah, gosh, that is a good question. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's changing one person at a time. That's what I'm focusing on is changing um changing the minds and and leaving that information there so that it trickles down so this this architecture firm that i'm working with in toronto at the 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 main person that i've been talking to is so excited about having me work with his staff and my idea is to like work myself out of a job right like i want to go in i want to talk to them i want to tell them all of my stories make them think about things differently. And then it changes the culture of the organization so that accessibility is also like sustainability in their, um, in, in the culture of their business, right? So their firm now will look at accessibility the same way they look at accessibility and they can sell it. It's, it's a value added service that they are able to provide to their clients because their clients will then have spaces that are accessible for everybody. Right. Right. It's that value added that, oh, it's going to cost more money, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, think of all the extra people that you're going to be able to bring into your restaurant. Right. Just basic things. And, and use your recreation facilities and be able to get in and out of the pool and, change in a change room that is big enough and safe for, you know, a wheeled mobility device on a wet floor. There's, yeah, there's yeah, a lot. Makes, you know, people able to live a full life. I mean, that to me seems pretty, a pretty great goal to go for. I mean, you also think mm-hmm. about how in the world today, we have more people over the age of 65 than under the age of five. And yeah. those over 65ers are just becoming a bigger and bigger group. So you know, where, where's all the housing for, for that, for that group or just for accessibility overall. Exactly. It's pretty Mm -hmm. fascinating. So I'm hoping we just need to clone you a few times and, uh, (laughs) you know, go out into the world and uh, spread your, your message. Uh, What's next? Thanks, Andrea. What's next? Um, Yeah. Well, I'm excited about launching building better bathrooms that, that, like I said, is going to be in a couple of weeks. And, um, I am helping a few really big recreation centers become accessible. And the the super exciting thing is that the plans are still on paper, right? So that's where you can move a line or add a toilet. Um, but, you know, before any construction has started um, and recreation was a big part of my life before my accident. And I really want recreation to be able to be accessible for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And then developing some more online courses for people to learn with me in my own house. Um, you know, COVID really threw a, 
uh, a wrench in my plans. I wanted people to be able to come and see my house and feel what it's like to be in an accessible space. So because I can't do that, I'm I'm doing it virtually. And that's that's been kind of fun. Right. And you people probably can still yeah, come. more people yeah. that way too. Going mm-hmm. virtual. Like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm I'm so happy that I, you know, came across you at the conference and it's uh it's really eye opening when you start looking into accessible design. We will have your information in our you know, on, on our website and if we'll want to reach out to you. Uh, but it's been fantastic to talk to you and learn more about you know, your, your role. I mean, you went from being a teacher of a high school, high school student, and now you're teaching you know, many people about uh, accessible uh, design. And I think it's really awesome. So. Thanks, Andrea. Yeah, I, I like to say that um, you can take the teacher out of the classroom, but you can't stop her from teaching. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's really fantastic. It's a great story. So thank you again so much for your time. Thanks for and having thank you, me, Andrea. Yeah, thank you, everybody who is listening and, and watching. And thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for listening to Seb. I sincerely hope you got something of value from the podcast that feeds your brain and fills your heart. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the interior design trade and related industries and would like to sign up for a complimentary subscription to the printed or digital magazine, visit designerstoday.com right now and sign up. Until next time.